Blog Talk Radio. Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Combox Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, National Spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds Program, and of course, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free, you heard that right, totally free, digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, where the experts go to share their knowledge about keeping backyard poultry. we got a great show lined up for you today. I've got poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae, PhD. Uh, she's going to be joining us here shortly. We're going to be talking about incubation and brooding. We're both going to be sharing some tips. We've both done this a bazillion times, and... Um, I've wrote articles about it. Dr. McRae's written articles about it, and uh, it's definitely not. Uh, it's, it's really more art sometimes than science, especially on the incubation end. But nonetheless, we had a great show, very laid-back show. We're just going to be kind of have general discussion about incubation and brooding. We'll have to cut the cut the wires though, uh, right at three Eastern, because I've got a meeting uh, regarding the upcoming webinar to help kind of promote Healthy Bird Awareness Week with USDA and CDC. So we'll be talking about that a little bit uh, today in the conference call at 3, so we'll need to uh, head out of here right at 3. That's going to be coming up on Thursday, February 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern. Okay, You don't want to miss that. It's free, of course. Global webinar broadcast. CDC headquarters out of Atlanta. USDA will have uh, poultry scientists, veterinarians, um, epidemiologists from CDC. We're talking about salmonella, biosecurity. I think we're talking about brooding, actually, as well, and some other great tips about starting backyard flocks and uh, preventing disease for your flocks and your families. Again, that'll be uh, Thursday, February 25th at 2 p.m. I'll be getting you all the information so you can sign up for that um, probably early next week. We should have information about how you can sign up for that global webinar 
uh, about keeping backyard poultry on the 25th. So well, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Get those pens and papers out. You're going to take some notes. Incubation of brooding is today's topic with poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae, Ph.D., and yours truly, the Chicken Whisperer. At Combach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free, with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, feed your hens the way nature intended, pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at KalmbachFeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H Feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Give the Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. 
All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. Brought to you by Combox Feed. So we've got a couple of announcements. I didn't have time to go and look at any chickens in the news for the chickens in the news segment this morning. This morning has flown by. Um, I was on the phone earlier this morning with a new company based out of Atlanta that is um, trying to get into mass producing some uh, black fly, soldier black fly larvae for uh, really the chicken, the, the pet chicken industry. And I talked to them a little bit uh, today. Very interesting. Uh, had a great conversation with them. Um, uh, was real close to even uh, offering to buy their company, and um, but I didn't go that far. I was picking their brains, talking about um, uh, basically rebranding, repackaging, um, doing an off-label uh, with their product. And uh, it is a startup company. I, I need just to say I liked it. I came, I came very close to just saying, "What do you want for your company?" And um, but uh, golly, I just don't have the time, um, especially with my travel schedule and everything else we're doing. The magazine, um, trying to get a second edition out to uh, the book, uh, possibly doing another book here um, called Factor Chicken Poop. Uh, we got working on a tagline for that. Uh, the the um, where we do like the. Uh, top 50 uh, factor chicken poop thing. Anyway, so I just don't have time, but I came really close to you saying, okay, how much do you want for your business? I'll buy it from you right now. <laughs> it's really neat. And uh, I had some reservations a little bit because um, I know that even Dr. McRae, and she's just joined us on, in the phone lines, talk about insects being a uh, contributing factor to uh, disease for backyard poultry. And so I wanted to know the process of how uh, before it goes into the bag to ship, uh, what's done to try eliminate that uh, risk? Uh, when we talk about the risk, so, yeah, you're not going to stop your backyard chickens from eating bugs. I get it, but it still doesn't change the scientific fact that bugs can um, be a uh, factor. I won't say significant factor, but a factor in uh, um, some disease and issues with your backyard flock. Internal parasites, for example, uh, carrying other diseases uh, in, in, in their uh, in and on their bodies. But so I, I want to do that. So it was, it was interesting. I really enjoyed that conversation. But um, and then uh, what else was going on? Oh, the big tour. Uh, we got. I'll be in Florida. I got five uh, uh, speaking engagements here in Florida. Uh, basically, two on the East Coast. And then I've got pretty much three kind of in the middle of the state, Orlando, Ocala, and a little city I can't remember the name of, um, in between Orlando and Ocala. <laughs> and then I'll be over on the uh, East Coast as well, north of Fort Lauderdale, north of Palm Beach, but south of Titusville. So uh, you can get all those dates and times where I'm going to be. Uh, come out, get your book signed, buy a book, get it signed, learn about backyard poultry, blah, and uh, have a great time. That tour is sponsored by our great friends over at Combat Feeds. And then, of course, uh, our spring tour has been delayed. And I'm kind of glad for that uh, because we were having a really hard time trying to find any open RV parks in Wisconsin, Michigan, northern Indiana, northern Illinois, in March. <laughs> it just wasn't happening. They don't even open normally until about April 15th. So our first event now has been pushed back. Our first event on our spring tour, which is going to hit those five states, six states. Let's see, we got Michigan, Wisconsin, northern Indiana, northern Illinois, and uh, northwest Ohio. 
Um, so we've got that uh, tour coming into play. And um, Sorry about that delay. The whole family just kind of arched in, and I figured it might be raining outside or something. And so we've got that tour going on here, and uh, that first event will be April uh, 18th. And last, I think it's a three weeks. We've got four events, four weeks, and, and five events three-week show. You can get all that information over there on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the chicken whisperer. All right, let's head over here to the phone lines. We've got our good friend, poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McCrate, and she's going to just give her a big chicken whisperer a welcome. Hey, Doc, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Andy. <laughs> hey, sounds like you're having a, a fun and interesting conversation. With a really with a new and innovative business, awesome. Yeah, they're 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 Georgia Tech graduates, so they're they're no dummies ah. by any stretch of the imagination. That's for sure. To get out of Georgia Tech, that's that's a feat in itself. And then um, they're they're really into the self, sustainability and recycling, and they're using uh, they're they're diverting food waste from going into landfill and feeding the the black fly soldier right. fly. Uh, Larvae and so and and they're, they're small scale right now. They've got big ambitions and big dreams. They're looking at moving into a warehouse right now. I forget how many bags of this they can do a day. Um, it wasn't anywhere close to being able to do any type of national distribution, but uh, they are looking at maybe getting up to being able to produce uh, one to one thousand to five thousand bags a day, which would be uh, better. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so that would be really cool. Uh, they still got some time to go, but I really like. Uh, I had a lot of questions for them. Are they freeze dried? Uh, um, they are dehydrated. What they do is apparently they take they take them and they uh, boil them. Well, they wash them and then they boil them, and it, the boiling process apparently kills any any of that bacteria or bad things you don't want your uh, inside and outside of them and then they're dehydrated um and then they're put into the bags and uh you know I, people it's no secret that i've been for uh, over a year now a year and a half uh actively looking for a uh, legitimate quality supplier of uh, mealworms uh, uh, sourced here from the usa many people know that the majority of these mealworms that are packaged and, and promoted for pet chickens are, are coming out of china I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I'm just saying they're coming out of China. Uh, when Petco removes all their dog and cat treats coming out of China, that ought to tell you something, but I'm not saying it's good or bad. I would like to have uh, a uh, local provider of these uh, mealworms uh, from the USA. We've been trying for a year and a half. That's how difficult it is. We had bags ready. We had all the manufacturing ready to do this. We actually had found a supplier, and then they they – I don't know, went out of business, didn't pan out. So right now we're looking for that. Um, for, so people can have a choice of a, maybe a USA-sourced USA mealworms. These are obviously USA-sourced right there in Atlanta, Georgia, and they yeah. just got to get a little bit bigger, but they can get them in, in the stores there in some of the local stores. And then um, also, it's no secret, we're looking at doing a, uh, um, a snack. Don't like the word treat. We've talked about this off the air, Dr. McCray, um, because we know that every expert that ever comes on is not a fan of treats. But as humans, we can have a healthy snack. Chickens can have a healthy snack. And we're trying to do an all-in-one healthy snack for them that would include a lot of things that people like to add to their feed and, and give as <clears throat> treats all-in-one kind of snack that would be a healthy snack for them. So we're still kind of working on that. Uh, we hope to get that uh, done here 
sooner than later. But, uh, yeah, it was a very interesting conversation, and um, I wish them all the luck in the world. So maybe they'll uh, grow a big enough to where they can do some advertising with us, maybe get a, a Chicken Whisper uh, approved stamp, a seal of approval for their product and their bags and stuff later on. And uh, we may be even doing a product review for them in uh, the summer issue of hmm. Chicken Whisper magazine. So Sounds like I need to do a, a literature review on some of these things, these things and that's start that's looking up. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So you always I find today some of the neatest kinda... things, Andy. <laughs> they kind of reached out to me. Um, they did a full-page ad in the winter issue of Chicken Whisperer. I knew about them, but today they reached out to me wanting to do maybe a product review. And and uh, I told them, I said, I'll see if we don't have anything lined up in the in the, in the pipe. Well, we might even do it for a summer issue. <laughs> that was my four-year-old whispering into the mic. Hello. Um, <laughs> It's a family-oriented business, folks. Take it or leave it. But I thought we'd just have a, a, a kind of a casual um, talk conversation. Today, kind of, a conversation on incubation and brooding. Um, um, Northern, not even though we've done it a lot, done it in Jim's classroom, set up schools doing it. You have know, incubation. Uh, anybody will ever probably agree. It's it's a little bit of art, a little bit of science. Uh, and, of course, brooding, which is not quite as, as science. So I figured we'd just kind of talk a little bit about that and give folks some basics to the season as spring is, is barreling towards us very quickly and mm-hmm. uh, people are getting ready to, to do this. Um, so I thought we could just talk about that. Obviously, the first thing in line would be incubation before brooding, of course, if you're going that route. Uh, but, of course, we know that a lot of the people will just order their mail-order chicks, and they'll need a brooder set up when they get home. But, obviously, in the scheme of things, in the order of things, we'll talk about uh, incubation first. And I'm not going to get into too much this incubator, that incubator, because I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, there are uh, several good um hobby level incubators that are out there. The two biggies, obviously, GQF Manufacturing, Brincy um, Incorporated. You can look at theirs, price factor, options, digital thermostats, non-digital wafer thermostats, you know, humidity control, all that. That is something that really, no matter what me and Dr. McCray talk about, that um, you're just going to have to research yourself, look at your price, look at your budget, and say, hey, for the more bang for the buck here. Yeah, we can, we can talk about option. some of the, the ways, to, you know, the most basic and then how to kind of up it to the next level, up it to the next level, um, mm-hmm. because you can sometimes, you mentioned some of those things that we can talk about. Yeah. We'll just roll with that, start off with that. Then we'll, well get let's start off short. with the most basic model of incubator, and that's a laying hen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now, that, that's not basic. They're, they're pretty complex now, if you think about it, right? <laughs> There's less wiring. <laughs> <laughs> it's all hardwired. You don't have to adjust anything. <laughs> that is very true. So hens traditionally lay a certain number of eggs, and then sit on them, and that those eggs are called clutches. So she's gonna she's gonna lay a clutch of eggs and then sit on them. Chickens, other um, gallinaceous or ground dwelling species, including ducks and waterfowl, those aren't galliforms, but they're anseriforms. Um, they don't sit on the first egg they lay. Other bird species do, so they'll get a staggered hatch. If they lay an egg on Monday, they may start sitting on it, and they may form another egg two or three days later, 
and sit on that one as well, but they're going to hatch um, on a few days apart. Chickens will lay an egg and then get off the nest and maybe get back on it and get off the nest. But really, after her clutch, which is about five eggs is the average, after a clutch is laid, that hen then goes broody. And that's and a hen's desire to sit on eggs and incubate them. And some hens are really good at it. Other hens never go broody. There are some breeds that have been developed for uh, decreased broodiness because a broody hen doesn't lay eggs. If she goes broody, she's not going to give you eggs. And some people, that's not what they want. They got chickens for them to sit on eggs. And if you've got a broody hen, oh, geez, what do you do? She's... (laughs) You know, you may not have a rooster, and she thinks she has to sit on eggs, and you're like, ah, oh, geez, come on, yeah. So I got to take it real quick. When when yeah. when you were saying rooster, um, I had a apparently some type of uh, internet slowdown, and so it sounded on my end. It was probably perfectly clear on the uh, archive and for all of our listeners, but on my end, my system slowed down a little bit, so it sounded like you said, uh, and there might not even be a roo roo rooster involved. <laughs> <laughs> That's enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually recorded that way, but I don't I don't think it did, but. But but you're right. So I don't even have a rooster. You're wasting your time, sweetie. There's no rooster involved yeah, here. <laughs> but, you know, they they don't speak our language as much as you may think they understand you. I'm sorry. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> um, so she's going to wait until that whole clutch is laid, and then she's going to sit on it. Some birds develop a brood patch. And I occasionally, a little later on in the year, when chickens start to sit on eggs, I'll get a phone call. There's something wrong with my hen. She's bald. And I'm going, is it on her on her chest? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Is she sitting on eggs? Well, I'm not sure. I say, well, go watch her. And, yep, you put an egg in there, she wants to sit on it. I'm like, that's a brood patch. <laughs> so what happens is um, they'll lose feathers on the breast. It's a specialized molt. So that their skin is in direct contact with the eggs. Because a chicken's body temperature is about, well, anywhere from, you know, 105, 107, they've got to get that heat transfer to the egg. Um, for, for like, say, ducks that are very waterproof, they'll actually pluck feathers from their breast. And their skin thickens up in the brood patch. And so you get better heat transference and you got more blood vessels through there and you know, they want to really transfer the heat from their bodies to the eggs. Because chickens don't gestate, they incubate. It's not an entirely efficient process of heat transference. So that means that she's got to make sure that she lifts up those feathers and rolls those eggs around so that they stay warm enough all around over the course of 21 days for a chicken, 28 days for a duck, you've got to roll those um, eggs around so that you got an even distribution of heat and that the embryo doesn't stick to the inside of the shell. Now, great. Simplest model, mama hen. You do occasionally have a couple of breeds that do very well with regard to sitting on eggs, 
specifically the silky and the cochin. Cochins come in both large fowl and bantam. If you have a large fowl cochin, you're going to be able to fit more than eight, five eggs under her. But, you know, with the bantam sizes, you can't fit quite as many eggs underneath them. Doesn't mean that they aren't going to try. <laughs> so sometimes you have to step in and say, no, honey, you have 11 eggs, and, you know, only six are underneath you. I'm going to take these five eggs away. Some mother hens are what we call terminally broody. Unfortunately, that means they get so broody, they forget to get off the nest every day for food and water, and they die on the nest. So you, as a flock owner, if this is your form of incubation, you have to be monitoring that hen and make sure that at least, at minimum, once a day, she's got to get off the nest for about half an hour and get food and drink water, and that's usually when she goes and defecates as well. Eggs can handle a little bit of cooling, not for very long, but you know, they mother hens have to leave the nest every day to eat and drink and defecate, and so they're used to the lack of incubation for a little bit of time. So chicken eggs, you incubate them for 21 days. 28 days are your average duck, turkeys, guinea fowl, and pea fowl. Japanese quail are anywhere from 17 to 18 days. Most geese are about 30 days. <clears throat> and pheasants, chucker, bobwhite quail, they're about 24 days. I know some of your listeners have Muscovy ducks, Canada geese, Egyptian geese. Those are about 35 days, so they're the longest of the ones that I mentioned. But I wanted you to be aware of just a little bit of the range that you can get amongst the uh, poultry and waterfowl as well as game bird species that some of your listeners may have in their possession. So let's start talking about incubators themselves outside of the mother hens. Artificial incubation is what we call it. Artificial incubation actually started in the 1800s with the Petaluma Hatchery in Petaluma, California. Christopher Nissen started the hatchery industry and is known as the father of the modern hatchery industry. And he used something called a still air incubator. There mm -hmm. was no fan in it, and there was no automatic egg turner in it. And he had, in 1892, he had 14 customers, and he sold 4,600 chicks. How much do you think he got per chick, Andy? What year was that? 1892. Um... 1892, five cents. Ooh, you're close. Nicely done, Andy. Six to seven <laughs> cents for each check. Wow. Yeah. We've come a long way since then, haven't we? 
<laughs> Has anybody opened up their hatchery catalog lately? It's not six to seven cents a tick. It might be as much as five dollars a tick, and in some cases, with some of the rarer breeds of goslings or turkeys, it could be up to eleven dollars a, a a gosling or poult. Mm-hmm. But um, a still air incubator has stratified heat, and that's your most basic form of incubator that anybody can buy um and it it might be a dome incubator it might be uh, a styrofoam incubator if it's a no frills simple incubator where all it does is provide a safe area for the eggs to sit and a heat source that's a still air incubator it means the air at the top of the incubator is warmer than the air down at the bottom of the incubator. And mm-hmm. you'll probably have to add water every day. But that is a still air incubator. Um, his incubators were a little bit larger than the ones that you might be able to get at your local feed store. His incubators had 300 to 400 eggs. Um, we didn't really understand about the importance of turning eggs until the 1920s. And up until that point, up until 1920, we only turned eggs two times a day, not on weekends, not on holidays. So when someone decided to actually take a look at, you know, why is Mama Hen sometimes doing a better job, they put a a mother hen in a glass bowl with some eggs and set somebody underneath them and said, watch this hen and count how many times in an hour she turns the eggs. Guess how often she did it, Andy? Hmm. I know that a lot of people recommend it turning three to five times a day, um, but I, I think the hen turns them more times than that from, from reading, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, five let's, times let's, in an hour. Yeah. Now, in commercial egg incubators, or even in in automatic turners you can get for smaller-scale incubators, it's not unheard of for them to turn every 45 minutes or maybe every hour and a half. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't have to turn as often as Mother Hen does the job. Um, You get the same rate of hatch with slightly less turning, but... As you know, the mindset of a mother hen can be really quite stubborn, so she's going to do what she's going to do. <laughs> um, so let's start talking about um, simple incubators. Andy, what's the smallest style incubator you've ever run across? You know, they, they still make them. I think they're about $19. They look like a spaceship from the 70s. Yeah. They're yellow. They're yellow, have a little plastic globe over them, and I think they hold six eggs, and they're not, like I said, maybe 19 bucks, 29 bucks. And um, I know they were kind of popular with the school teachers back in the day because they were cheap, and and um, the success rate on them, I've heard, is, is mediocre at best, but at least for an entry-level $20 out of your back pocket type of thing, um, they were very popular, and they still sell them today. And I think they have a wire floor inside that yellow base where you would add the water because you do need moisture inside an incubator and isn't that the style that um just sits in the sun 
Or did it have uh, a heater? I think this one does have a heater on it. Oh, okay. okay there I'm used look to it be right a sow that just sat in the sun, and, you know, that's a good way to cook eggs. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> that happened to me. I had a, um, at the time, no, wait, I'm trying to think if I had the uh, still air fat. I don't even remember which one it was. It was a tabletop styrofoam incubator, and I had to set it up on a table just inside our kitchen window. This is a decade ago, and um, I went and checked it. Uh, I don't know how many early on after we, we said everything could have been the next first three days. And I just happened to walk by sun was coming through the window and I looked over there and I'm thinking, Hmm. And went and look at the temperature and it's something like 140 degrees uh, because of the sun coming, the sun coming through the kitchen window on, I forget even whatever the side of the house that was in the morning and, and coming right in and hitting that incubator and heating it up to 140, 150 degrees inside that sucker. Yep. Lesson learned. And how was your hatch? Um, I think I bailed Too on long it ago? after that. I think, yeah, it was like I said, it was a decade ago. I think I bailed on it. I don't even remember continuing yeah. it. I think Basically, we're done. Basically, you cooked the eggs. <laughs> yeah, we were done unintentionally. I think we uh, bailed that's, on that. That's one of the things you have to pay attention to: is is my incubator near any windows? Oh, let me tell you, I, putting our incubators into schools teachers are like oh I have this great spot right by the window no you don't you do not have a great spot your spot is nowhere near the window oh well I don't know where I'm going to put it then well you don't get to have an incubator till you figure it out <laughs> but it's not going by the window well they need hmm. to be warm yeah but not cooked so yeah um Still air incubators don't have a fan. They don't have an automatic turner usually. And you got to maintain those at 102 degrees Fahrenheit because you have that stratified air. You want to mix things up? Well, number one time saver is adding an automatic turner. I cannot tell you what a time saver that is. Um... Again, you still have to uh, you still have to keep 102 Fahrenheit in there. So after I, I suggest adding an automatic turner, I say invest in a fan. It, you're going to have a much better experience. So um, getting a fan in there will um, change the style of the incubator into what's called a forced draft incubator. Uh, most like the the larger incubators, the one that hold three or four hundred eggs, most of them come with an automatic turner and a fan. You want that because if you have to go in there every three or four hours, or even four times a day, every six hours, and turn three or four hundred eggs, yeah, you're not going to be a happy camper. So once you get to the larger scale beyond some of the the plastic or styrofoam style incubators, having an automatic turner and having a fan is such a blessing. And it improves your hatch. If you have a fan in there, you don't have to run your incubator at 102 degrees Fahrenheit. You get to drop it down to 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the perfect temperature for hatching chicken eggs. So that's what I wanted to share with people. Um, So 
what kind of incubator did you start off with as your investment, Andy? Um, let's see. It was a wow. I think we were given a Still Air uh, GQF incubator, Styrofoam tabletop, and then the next ones that we bought, well, we bought uh, the. Are you there? Yeah. Did you not hear me? Oh yeah, you kind of okay. blinked out for a minute there. Did I gurgle out, or did you hear anything that I just said? You kind of disappeared. Okay. Um. Our our um. The first one actually was given to us. It was a um from a teacher, and that she had used in her classroom. It was a still air GQF styrofoam tabletop. And then uh, the next two that we purchased were uh, the GQF Genesis Model 1588 mm. with the big pic- big picture window, uh, automatic thermostat. It was, uh, and we're still using those today. Was it plastic today. or styrofoam? Styrofoam. Okay. Now, I think this is where you and I differ in opinion, right? Is styrofoam versus plastic? I, I don't have a, a preference either way. Um, I've used the Brincy incubators uh, that are more plastic-based, I think, both in the base and the cover, and I've used the Styrofoam. I've used both of them. I haven't used any of the more expensive um, Brincy incubators, but the, but the small one that holds, I believe it's nine eggs, seven or nine eggs, and it kind of rotates around flat, uh. got the built-in egg turner. I've used that one, but I don't, I don't have or push or promote plastic versus uh, the Styrofoam either way. I like plastic because it's easy to clean and disinfect. Uh, That's not to say that people don't have success with styrofoam, but styrofoam has all those nicks and crannies, and if for some reason you are not getting it as clean, that can affect, has the potential to affect your hatch. So, and some cleaners, you know, want to eat styrofoam. So you can't use everything on a styrofoam incubator without damaging it. So that's just something else to consider. Um, You know, some people do fine for, you know, three to five years or even more with a styrofoam incubator, but then they don't, they start to have not so great hatches. And I'll often say, well, as you're doing this, make sure you're saving up for a plastic one because it is easier to clean. Um, We've had, uh, here at the university, we have the octagon, uh, Brincy octagons, and, man, they're a dream to clean. Uh, so, you know, you, you just make sure we wash the base and wash the, the tray, and then the top, you know, we can wipe down and even blow out parts of it with compressed air. So, yeah, it's pretty easy to use. And you want your your incubator to turn the eggs, or at least you, if you're the automatic turner, (laughs) if you're manually turning those eggs, you're going to do it from day one all the way through to day 18. If you're turning them, you're going to turn them um, every six hours. So put an X on one side of the egg and an O on the other side of the egg. And it may be that O should be what's up for half the day and X is what's up in the other half of the day. And make sure you write it down on the little piece of paper that maybe you tape to the top of the incubator just so you keep track of things because we all are forgetful or you might have a friend helping you if you go on vacation and you know they may need to know that in the morning 
X's should be up and in the afternoon O's should be up or something like that. So, um, you know, think about that. Remember, you got to keep water in your incubator too. Um, you're talking about an organism that is growing, living, breathing, hopefully, inside that egg. And they have to have kind of a high level of humidity or what we call wet bulb temperature, wet bulb humidity or relative humidity. And on day 1 through 18, you want to have relative humidity of about 86 degrees Fahrenheit. And a lot of people are like, well, uh, how, what, okay, I understand a thermometer, but how am I going to know what the humidity is at 86 degrees Fahrenheit? Well, you're going to use a wet bulb thermometer, otherwise known as a hygrometer wick. So you, you're going to have two thermometers in there your dry bulb, and that tells you the temperature, and your wet bulb thermometer, which basically has a little wick over the bulb, tied over the bulb of the ink, of the thermometer. And it basically looks like a shoestring that um, somebody trimmed the ends off of. And heck, you can even use a clean new shoestring rather than buying a hygrometer wick. But hygrometer wicks um, are a little bit thinner. So one end goes over the bulb of the thermometer. The other end um, should be placed into some sort of container or reservoir for water. Like, say, a little Tupperware um, or a little tiny container where you, you constantly keep water in it. So... That way, you'll know that the fan is picking up water and distributing it uh, evenly and creating humidity inside of there. And you can actually look at the temperature. And as a good science fair project, maybe a student might want to record the temperature every day and, or, and also the wet bulb thermometer temperature every day um, for maybe two different... Uh, sets of birds or two different breeds of chicken and see if see if they detect any sort of difference. But on day 18, Andy, what do you stop doing during the Stop turning them. Stop turning them. The uh, chicks got to kind of get in position to uh, hatch out in a couple of days. Yeah, so you got to take your automatic turner out, and that means you're going to be setting your eggs on their sides in hatching trays or... Um, at least on the wire tray of whatever incubator you've got. Mm -hmm. And you do kind of want to bump up the humidity to maybe about 88 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, What you don't want is for the chick to start hatching and start drying out so it can't Mm -hmm. turn. So that's why you kind of bump up the humidity a little bit more during the hatching process. Um, Also, something that's really cool, on day 18... You can actually sometimes put that chick or that egg to your ear. And you can sometimes, if you don't startle the chick, hear the chick peeping inside the eggshell. And basically on day 18, the chick pokes its beak into the air cell that has gradually been getting bigger and bigger. So it takes its first breath. And so you can hear them inside there. Now, 
Mother Hen actually starts talking to them on that day, and they talk to each other to kind of help synchronize the hatch. So that's why they start um, talking, and that's called an internal pip. That's when they start breathing and using their lungs for the first time. And then right about late latter part of day 20, maybe on day 21, you might see a tiny little hairline crack through the shell, and that's the external pip when they actually break through the eggshell for the first time. And the first time you see that, your heart will jump for joy, and you're going to get so excited, and you're going to ask that chick to hurry up, and it's going to take forever. Because <laughs> they all seem to take forever. <laughs> but... Um, you know, those are the sorts of things that that the chick goes through. Um, you can keep the fan running. That's fine. You just got to make sure that uh, if you need to, you might have to add some sponges to the bottom part of your incubator to increase the surface area and increase the relative humidity. Have you ever done that, Andy? Cut up a, a new sponge and moistened it and stuck it down in the in the bottom of an incubator? We never had to cut them up. We would just get kind of a small kitchen sink sponge, which was probably the size of an index card. So, and yeah, we've definitely put our yeah. share of sponges, our share of sponges in incubators. <laughs> definitely. And, and you don't, you know, you kind of want to make sure it's new. Um, don't use an old <laughs> used sponge. Can you imagine bacteria? Everybody always yeah. tells about, oh, the the best way to clean that sponge is to put it in the microwave for what it was thirty seconds. I was reading that seconds. the other and day. And it's going to be hot, so don't grab it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, they say I oh, just uh, first off they start off by saying, "Do you know how many germs are in that sponge on your sink?" And then it goes on to say, "Well, the easiest and best way to clean that is go <laughs> in the microwave for however many seconds." Uh, yeah, I wonder what is worse: a sponge from your kitchen uh, sink or a sponge after a chick is hatched. I know it. That'd be a good. Hey, there's your research study for some new students. Um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, They're both yeah, but probably going to be a little gross, but oh well. Yeah. Go to the dollar store, folks. What door you can get three sponges for a buck? Brand there new. It's go. not going to break the bank. Yep. <laughs> so, um, why don't you start sharing with people, Andy? Um, or unless you, you want to wait till after the commercial break. Um, about brooding. Yeah, I can uh, 15 minutes I can I can go through brooding real quick cuz it's on the back of my hand because I go through this every single time uh when we're on the road cuz it's a very important part springtime it's probably one of the most things that interests most people when I'm on the road so yeah we'll go to a quick break and then we come back and we'll wrap up uh with the uh the brooding section of this always interesting really enjoy it and uh, I can go through it, wham, really quick and get all the information that they need to know. So uh, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. We'll come back. Our special guest today, poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McCray, Ph.D., and we're talking about incubation and brooding, which, you know, you could write a 500-page book on each one of these topics, but we're trying to breeze through them and, and giving some uh, basic tips. So we'll be back right after this short break from our sponsors as soon as I scroll down here and find the next commercial. <laughs> Hold up. We'll be back soon. Just a cap full a day directly into their water is all it takes for a stronger immune system. Introducing ePoultry, an all-natural, whey-based soluble that will help improve your flock's overall health. Made by farmers for farmers right here in the USA. 
ePoultry is a safe, all-natural way to give your birds the strong immune system they deserve. Learn more and purchase at www.eanimalproducts.com. That's www.eanimalproducts.com. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then look no further than Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from appearance-grade western red cedar right here in the USA. Urban Coop Company coops are designed to be both beautiful and functional. I invite you to visit their website to learn about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. They're passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit their website at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. But if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting, and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at strombergschickens.com. That's strombergschickens.com. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds 
goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver hen aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! It's time to talk about brooding today on uh, Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. And, um, yeah, do this it's quite a bit, so we'll kind of get started and go through this and uh, have you chime in on the scientific end of, of it, uh, Dr. McCray. So, uh, can you hear me oh, okay? Oh, Andy, before I forget, yes. I wanted to tell everybody that Kalmbach is sponsoring some research here on heritage breeds of chickens. I knew that. I got a phone call from them, and I said, yeah, Dr. McCray, I don't care what people say about her. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I said, yeah, you know, if you're really interested in the sign. I mean, if you just, you know, no, but, but yeah, I got an email from them saying uh, that they had talked with you and they were going ahead with that program. I was thrilled and glad that they chose to do that. And, and, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Tell us about that. So folks, we're going to compare broiler chicken, male birds with, get this, buckeye male birds for meat production. And Kalmbach is willing to provide the feed for the entire time that this study takes place, which is kind of exciting because we do this every two years, and it was because of your listeners, Andy, that we chose to do research on the Buckeye. So kudos to all of you out there who (laughs) put your your wing up in the air for the Buckeye. We're going to find out more information out there about them. And you know what? It's uh, it's fitting because they're based out of uh, Ohio. We know the Buckeye was developed <laughs> by Nettie Metcalf. It's the only breed ever developed by a woman, Nettie Metcalf, who is from, of course, Ohio. That's why it's called the Buckeye. And Combat Feeds is based out of Upper Sandusky, Ohio. So I'm sure they wanted to do that research. We'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. No, um, I stood up because I have a cramp in my foot, but we're going to talk a little bit about brooding. Very simple. Really, a brooder is the uh, baby chick's home for the first six to eight weeks of their life. It kind of provides everything that mama hen uh, in nature is providing for the baby chick. And, and most brooders really incorporate five things. You've got the brooder itself, some type of container for to, to hold everything, including the chicks. You've got bedding. You've got a heat source. You've got a feed source. And you've got um, water source. So you've got the brooder itself, one, um, uh, bedding, food source, water source, and heat source. Five things. It is pretty simple. If you want to add a sixth thing on there, maybe some type of chicken wire or poultry netting to go over the top so they don't fly out, depending on what type of brooder. Um, you get online and you search different type of brooders. There's there's anything and everything you can use. You can be creative, and it can be very cheaply done. Um, if, you, if you look at pictures of brooders on Google, you will find people using a simple little cardboard box 
And I'm not a fan of that. It's going to get soggy. It's going to get nasty, and it's a fire hazard. But you know, you'll see brooders set up in large cardboard boxes they got for free uh, at the, the stereo shop or something like that because they're a little bit bigger. Um, you can have some really Mac Daddy uh, incubator uh, incubators <laughs> brooders. One, one of my favorite of all times. Um, they came out in the 50s. The ones that came out in the 50s are still being used today. They will last a very long time. They are the Mac Daddy, the GQF Universal Brooder box. It's not for everybody. They're to about $239. Um, but if you're going to be brooding a lot or on a regular basis, oh my gosh, it makes brooding a breeze. They need to honestly use that as their trademark uh, catchphrase. Um, but I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, I won't get into details of that, but definitely look into that if you're doing brooding a lot. The GQF uh, Universal Brooder Box, 239 bucks. We've started hundreds, if not thousands, of people on a simple kind of home brew, if you will, brooder box. We tell folks you can go to the local big box store or home improvement store and get the largest Rubbermaid bin you can buy. Normally they're about forty. to 45 gallons, and they got high sides. They're elongated. That's very important. We talk about adding a heat source. Um, and then we'll start off with that. We'll just say 25 to 27 bucks for that. Boom, we have our container. That's one off the list. Next, we need some bedding for the brooder, of course. The number one recommended bedding across the, the wire is, of course, um, the pine shavings. Uh, and you can get those. At, why? Because they're cheap, they're absorbent, they're soft. There's, there's a whole number uh, of reasons uh, for that. Um, so I'm just going to go there. I'll get into that a little bit more about talking about other things, other types of bedding, but we'll see how much time we have. We can come back to it. You've got your bedding, two to three inches of bedding in the bottom of that Rubbermaid bin. You need a water source, and that size, of course, uh, a one-gallon water is going to be ample. You want to make sure you have that on the opposite end of the brooder than your heat source. You want to have them cool, fresh water, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, away from the heat source so they can have a cool uh, supply of water. I like the one-gallon size for that large Rubbermaid bin. We need a feed source. I like the core feeder, and I tell folks that you do want to provide. It's not like dogs or cats where, okay, I just filled up their feeder and placed it in the brooder. That's all you get. We'll see you tomorrow morning and I'll fill it up again. Um, You want to make sure they have a continual amount of chick starter uh, in that court feeder. You don't want them to run out of feed. So constant supply all the time. And I tell folks this until I'm blue in the face. Um, When you go into the feed store, if this is your first time and you're literally in your hands holding six baby chicks, they're in that tiny little box they give you to take them home. Six little baby chicks, okay? And you look and you say, oh, look, a five-pound bag of chick starter. Look at these (laughs) tiny little chicks. That's going to last a long time. I'll get this (laughs) five-pound bag of chick starter for $8.99. I don't need a big 50-pound bag. Look at these little tiny chicks. Wrong. (laughs) Go ahead and save you some money because not only will they eat a lot, they're going to waste a lot of food, Uh, especially until they get large enough you can start raising the feeder and the water is up off the ground at chest level of the bird. So yeah, just trust me on this folks. Eight ninety nine for a five pound bag, you know, maybe seventeen bucks for the for the <laughs> fifty pound bag. Get it, they'll go through it maybe several times a day. You'll be dipping that quart container into that feed bag, filling <laughs> that up. A constant supply. Don't let them uh, run out of that. And then, of course, my biggest pet peeve, the heat source, uh, which uh, they're going to require because they don't have Mama Hen to kind of keep them uh, warm and, and keep their heat kind of regulated. And so, again, uh, the number one heat source for that brooder, and most brooders are going to be the Okay, you know where my stance is on this. The heat lamp, the brooder lamp that you can get at hardware stores and big box stores for about 
$10. Why are they the most popular heat source for brooders? Because they're $10. Okay? <laughs> but, but every year I report, you know, on these house fires. Oh, my gosh, we, we, we want to do great. Well, almost start- house fires. Yeah, almost house fires exactly, or the you know family comes back from church and their house is gone. Nothing's left of the foundation because they had this brooder in their living room with a heat lamp that fell in the wood shavings. And so I tell folks, look, me and Dr. McCray and everybody else on the planet, we're not going to talk everybody out on the planet of using a ten dollar heat lamp. Why? Because they're ten dollars. Okay, but um, there are safer alternatives like the Brensi Eco Glow Twenty and Fifty, the Sweeter Heater as well. Both of those can be used as you know, brooder. Andy, honestly, mm-hmm. if I had had something like that when I was raising chicks, I, I just cannot even tell you. What a load off my mind it would have been because I I it was my job to take care of the chicks and the lambs and we always had those brooder lamps and I can tell you there were a couple of times when those lambs or those chicks it fell down in there and you're gonna catch heck from mom why did this happen. <laughs> What did you do wrong? And you're like, I didn't do anything wrong. And they they bumped it. And she says, well, I don't like this setup, and I don't like this situation. Get it out of the house. And it's too cold, Mom, to put them out anywhere else. And, <laughs> yeah, and it's just, if I'd had that alternative, she would have sprung for it. it just because yeah. we've had several instances where, you know, it's 4 a.m. It's time to go bottle feed the the whatever the baby lambs and oh crud if the garage isn't full of smoke. Yeah. <laughs> lucky. Yep, very and lucky. when you're opening up the garage door at 4 a.m., your parents are up going, "What's up?" <laughs> <laughs> yep, I have I could see that absolutely without a doubt. We had a couple of baby goats uh that we were bottle fed and uh they were in a Rubbermaid bin next to the bed, uh, thanks to my wife, Jen. But, yeah, I've kind of been down that road a little bit. <laughs> okay, I um, never had that. That's pretty funny. <laughs> wow. Yep. In the master bedroom, in a Rubbermaid bin, two baby goats, bottle fed, you know, it's just, what do you do? So, um, so yeah, if, you know, we we get it. We're not going to talk everybody out of using it, but, but at least do your part to try to um, – Mount it uh, with many fail-safes. For example, we're going to clamp that on the end of the rubber made bin. Are we done? No, not far from done. Then we're going to use some really good quality duct tape to duct tape the clamp of the um, heat lamp to the rubber made bin. Are we done yet? No, we're not. Then I'm going to get another clamp, a spring clamp or a screw clamp or a C clamp, and I'm going to clamp the clamp that's under the duct tape, again, to the Rubbermaid bin. Am I done yet? No, I'm not. Then I'm going to get some S-hooks and some chain, and I'm going to chain that heat lamp to something above, something higher, ceiling, ceiling joist, something high. So if Andy's house burns to the ground because of a falling heat lamp, what does what has to happen? The heat lamp clamp has to break, the duct tape has to rip, the additional clamp I put on there has to break, and that chain has to snap all the, the exact same second for that lamp to fall into uh, the the, the shavings and catch fire. Now, I've got pictures of me doing this. This is no exaggeration. I recommended this. If I ever have to use a heat lamp, that's what I'm doing because I don't want my house. I'm the one that has to post all these fires every year because of it. So you know darn tootin' I'm going to do all these fail-safes. But let me ask you, let me tell you this. Even if you do all that, what we just talked about, your house still may burn to the ground or your chickens may be eating glass uh, because in the last couple of years, now whether this is because quality has declined in the last two years or because more people are doing backyard poultry and brooding the last couple of years, so we're seeing more of it, 
these heat lamp bulbs, most are 125 or 250 watt bulbs, red or clear, they're coming out of China. The glue, the adhesive that they are using to keep the glass globe part of that bulb into, secured into the little socket part of the bulb, is failing. Those things are getting so hot, the adhesive, maybe because they're coming out of China, is so cheap, they're getting so hot, the adhesive or glue is melting, it's failing, and people are coming home and they're either seeing one of two things. The bulb is just dangling out of the socket by just two little filament type wires just dingling there uh, or it has fallen into the brooder and if it hasn't already started a fire then it broke into a million glass pieces they come home and their chicks are eating glass out of the shavings which is never a good thing so now if you're using that $10 heat lamp we recommend getting a uh, a piece of 18 inch square whatever uh, chicken wire hardware cloth wrapping it around the guard that's already on it that guard guys is not going to keep the bulb from coming in or out it just kind of prevents the bulb from hitting the shavings based on the depth of your shaving, so next, so you got to do a lot of stuff here to make that ten dollar heat lamp a little bit more uh, safe um, versus buying. We'll just say the Eco Glow fifty is probably around seventy nine dollars. Uh, the the sweeter heaters start around seventy five dollars, go to one hundred and twenty nine, and people say, "Oh my gosh, I can't afford that," but. As soon as you say that, pick up the phone, call your homeowner's insurance company, and see what your deductible is if your house burns down. Um, and, and not only that, we talked <laughs> about it with Peter Brown and the sweeter heater. Um, uh, look at your heating bill. When you're using one or two heat lamps based on the size of your brooder, and then you look at that power and how many watts they're using, yeah. you will save Clearly. over time. But You've saved so much money on your power bill by using the Eco Glow or, or the sweeter heater for that brooding. But the, the, the biggest issue is, you know, you're not. You, you our can farm sleep manager was thrilled when we did this research two years ago, and he says, "Man, our power bill is awesome. You can use those anytime." I'm like, "Got yeah, it. Message received." Exactly. <laughs> Just all those issues. Now, now, really, really quick, um, things that you'll start seeing uh, after about six, seven days. Those baby chicks are going to start spreading their wings. No pun intended. And flying, they'll. Fly what will happen is they'll fly to the top of the water, the top of the, the feeder, and that creates the first problem of them sitting, roosting up there, and then they poop. And the poop runs down the side of this plastic water or feeder. It runs into their water. It's not sanitary. It runs into their food. And then you have to spend extra time trying to clean and scrub all that poop. So go to the dollar store and get a $1 plastic funnel, $1 hot glue it to the top of the feeder, the top of the waterer, and now they can't roost on top. So that's also going to prevent them from jumping to the top of the feeder. And then from there, tilting their head. We've all seen this. They get to the top of the feeder. They're looking around. They tilt their head, that little funny tilt, and they look and they're like, freedom. I can make that. Yeah. <laughs> freedom. I can make and that. They... Let me try that. <laughs> and they jump over to the side of the brooder, and then they're looking down going, freedom! And then they jump out of the brooder, and they're pooping all over your floor. So, again, that chicken wire or the uh, hardware cloth or something over the brooder at about six, seven days where they start trying to fly up to the top. But if you Honestly, have those funnels... just go get a window screen. It's yeah, super screen, easy. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And probably cheaper than... Window screen's perfect. And, you know, honestly, if you have a pet like a cat or a dog, they usually can't figure out how to flip the window screen off to get to your chicks. So it's also a, an added measure of safe, safety, too. Safety, yeah, from that, from that cat that wants a midday snack of mm-hmm. your new uh, Americana chicks. Yeah, exactly. Um, when, when My kitty wasn't that from? smart. I used clear plastic <laughs> bins, and he'd just watch from the side for from hours. Side, mm, licking his lips, going, mm, chicken dinner. I don't think he was um, that bright. <laughs> 
So that um, may have changed now that he caught a mouse in the house, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so um, let's see, a couple things. Wrap it up here. I got a couple things because I got a meeting in about ten minutes. Um, I'm trying to take, pick out the most important things. When are they ready to go outside? Really, depending on the outside weather, the outside temperature. But normally, in six to eight weeks, when they're fully feathered, I'll, t- I'll share this really quick story to give some people just some, a comparison to think. Well, Andy had some success with this. Okay, I, I remember this because I call it the rule of nines. And uh, in 2009, okay, uh, I had nine. Isa Brown pullets that were nine weeks old, and it got down to nine degrees. How's that for the number nine? <laughs> nice. okay. uh, 2009, nine Isa Brown pullets, nine weeks old, nine degrees, three nights in a row, roughly around nine degrees. Well, I know we hit nine once or twice. Um, you know what they were in? They were in a large breed plastic doghouse with no door on it um, that I bought from Big Lots, you know, kind of a little grow-out pen. And guess what? They did fine. They did perfectly fine. They were fully feathered out. There were nine of them to cuddle in warm. I had a little bit of extra straw and hay in there. And <laughs> they, they did perfect. So so that that's my experience with about as early as I've had some really severe weather, cold-wise, out there. And But I had nine of them versus two. Um, but but just to give some other people some uh, something to refer back to. Well, it's going to get down to, you know, 25, and I have, you know, just, just, just a, you know, a story to, to compare with. And then um, one last thing I will share with this is that uh, pasty butt, because that's that's something a lot of, most people will see in their brooder career, and that is basically the accumulation of uh, poop around the vent area, and it can be deadly. It can dry on the outside of the vent, which then blocks the vent. It blocks the chick from being able to uh, poop. Let's call it what it is. And very simple fix. Uh, handle your chicks every day. Look at them. Look for this pasty butt. A warm, wet, moist paper towel. Wipe their little hiney off like you would, you know, changing the diaper of your baby. Um, and then and then they're ready to roll. I've noticed, just from experience, that let's say I have 25 chickens that I got ordered, mail order. We'll just say, let's just throw out there, I've got six that have pasty butt today. Okay, This is not scientific whatsoever, Dr. McRae, but I just, over years, have noticed if I have six with pasty butt today, I've kind of noticed that those same six will have pasty butt tomorrow. It's not like these six and then another six and then these other yeah. six and then this get it. I've kind of noticed that for whatever reason, um, the same one, but after uh, maybe two to three weeks, they, thank goodness, for the most part, grow out of it. So this is something you want to look for daily. Because it can cause problems, very simple wet paper towel, um, but they do grow out of it. I would say within three weeks you're done with pasty butt. Um, but I would say if you have four or five today, those same four or five will have it tomorrow, the next day. It's not like it's around. Um, anything you want to add before we wrap up? We could have really done two shows, one on incubation yeah. brooding, but so well, brooding, talking... you want to start them at 95 degrees Fahrenheit and drop the temperature five degrees each week until they're fully feathered, or it matches the same temperature as outside. Of course, mm-hmm. that's probably not going to be January uh, in most parts of the country. But, you know, if you're starting chicks in the summer, you might be able to, to take them outside if, as long as your out, outdoor temperature, even at night, you know, matches where you should be at um, for brooding temperature. Um, and you just want to make sure that you observe your chickens uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Make sure nobody has a twisted leg or a crossed beak or maybe um, any sort of malformations to the eye. So uh, make sure everybody is eating and drinking. You may have to dip the chick's beak into water and then food yeah. 
so yep. that food sticks to the outside of they, their beak. Now, that orients them to where food and water is inside the coop. But basically, they're going to eat food off each other's faces for the first day. And then they're going to go, oh, that's where food and water is, but not all of them catch on to it. And if somebody just looks just a slight bit smaller, you can even weigh them on a daily basis and make sure that they're actually gaining weight. Um, and if they're not, you may have to intervene and um, yep. you know make sure that, that – it, you might be able to, to take a small syringe and just put a little food in their beak and see if they eat it and um, maybe a little slurry of feed and make sure they're getting food and water. Um, also, if you if you have a lot of chicks that pass away, consider that you might have a disease problem and that might be a good, good first step for you uh, to make arrangements for dropping those... Um, a large number of chicks off with your veterinarian or the local diagnostic lab. So just remember they'll even check chicks and not just fully adult, full grown adult birds. And would you say at that age, I want to put you out on a limb or anything, just when you said that, and if you have maybe a large drop off or a, a massive kill or whatever, or if you have something, they're starting to drop like flies at that age, the first thing that pops into my mind would be coccidiosis. Um, I know Not there's, necessarily. Uh, there's, uh, there's, that, that that would be the first one that popped into my mind. But, and but yeah, the first one that the, popped into my expert. mind is salmonellosis. Okay. Um, okay. And so you you want to make sure that you know, depending on how old they are, you you know, if they're looking poorly, or you see all of a sudden, you know, they're 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 getting a lot of diarrhea for some reason you might want to take um, any deceased birds to your diagnostic lab because you want your chicks uh-huh. to have a really good start. Yeah. And you'll usually find that the person who's, you know, at the diagnostic lab is really kind of a, a sweet person uh, who wants to help you have a good start with your chicks. I love talking about brooding. I wish I had another 30 minutes to talk about because, like I said, there's other things I wanted to talk about. You, you had I had shared with you about somebody who had messaged me that they saw in early books early in the 1900s where uh, with incubation it was recommended to, to, to refrain from giving them feed and water for that 72-hour period because oh, they the yolk. Remember that? That, that that's was a huge old- mistake. They've learned that lesson. Don't do it. Just because it came from an old book doesn't mean they're right. Uh And uh, it's it's amazing because uh, Auburn scientists uh, said in on this class, it was amazing. Um, You know, as soon as they've hatched out, as soon as they're fluffy, they're starting to walk around on their own and and peck at things. You know, they're ready to search and, and eat and drink, whether it's eight hours, six hours, Get them in that brooder, get them that chick starter, get in that water because they found that if they can um, use the chick starter and the water to, quote, unquote, survive, instead of the, the relying on the yolk they absorb to, quote, unquote, survive, then they can use the chick starter and the water to survive, and then the yolk becomes really a lifelong benefit of uh, battling disease, uh, immunity, uh, just like kind of a colostrum for mother's milk, helping uh, babies be more healthy and fight off things. They're seeing that with, with baby chicks. It was fascinating. So there's so much stuff we could talk about. My phone's about to ring because I've got a conference call about the <laughs> webinar coming up. But um, 
Thank you so much, Dr. McRae, for coming Thank on. You, Love Andy. it. We'll probably cover this again later in the spring. So exciting. I wish I could talk about poultry all day long, which I kind of <laughs> do, but but uh, it's it's fun stuff. So thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, today's Thursday. We'll be back next uh, next Tuesday. Uh, and then the following Thursday as well, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. How easy is that to remember, folks? Dr. McRae, thank you so much for coming on. You can see her articles in Chicken Whisperer Magazine every issue and here on the first and third Thursdays of every month. Thanks, Doc. Thanks, Andy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, another great show uh, comes to a wrap. We appreciate you tuning in. And uh, tune in every Tuesday and Thursday, 2 p.m., with great chicken advice for all of you crazy chicken ladies out there, all you great uh, chicken lovers out there. Um, And uh, we'll continue doing what we're doing on our end. We hope you'll continue to tune in. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. God bless everybody.